what is the timeline between the bond rate starting to dip and then you see it showing up in mortgage pricing? Well, there's no hard and fast rule. There's an old adage that lenders like to take the stairs when they're lowering rates and they take the elevator when they're raising. <laughs> yeah, so, that's true. Uh, it's like they're blinking to see who's going to go, wait to see who's going to go first. When somebody moves, then the rest of the move, right? Is that usually what happens? Yeah, so, and, they're, and they're quicker to raise than they are to lower. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. At the end of the show, I have Dave LaRock. He's based out of Toronto. Been in the mortgage business for 11 years. Prior to that, he worked for a couple different lenders. And Dave has got probably the most interesting blog for Canadian mortgage brokers when it comes to understanding interest rates, bond markets, monetary policy. Every week, Dave spends between four to seven hours creating a blog post where he distills this down into something that makes sense that you can read and helps you understand it. You know, he's done this over 500 times. He's got a pretty good following on there. And if you're a mortgage broker listening to this, I highly recommend that you go check out what Dave is sharing because he's literally doing a ton of research and then distilling it into, you know, something that we can actually use on a day-to-day basis. A couple takeaways from this episode. One, he talks about why there's this huge spread between fixed and variable currently. So between 1.25 and 1.5%. Talks about how the bond market's pricing in up to six rate hikes and how he doesn't feel that's actually going to happen. And then we talk about sort of, you know, what kind of mortgage rates his clients are typically taking. He gives great advice when talking to clients on fixed versus variable. The whole conversation is just absolutely awesome. I'm actually going to have Dave on once a quarter. I was just chatting with him about this and he's totally down because I think this is a great way for you guys to stay sharp on what's kind of happening and be able to have some talking points when speaking to your clients. Today on the Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Ben McCabe from Bloom Finance about reasons why mortgage brokers should be thinking of reverse mortgage or when it would make sense. So before we jump into this episode, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection and submission platform that is very easy to use. It's got smart docs. It figures out what documents a client needs based on what they put in the app. It's connected to Lender Spotlight, which means they can search lender guidelines, rates, policies, so that you can make sure that you get that loan approved. And they even got smart submission notes so that it helps you put that package and send it off to your lender and have the highest probability of approval. So check that out, finmo.ca, and check out this conversation with Dave. Hey, Dave, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Scott. So, hey, Dave, there's lots of topics that I'd love to chat with you about, but in particular, you write a blog every week about interest rates and very well-read blog. You spend a lot of time creating this content and doing the research on it, and you've been doing it for years. And so I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about the things that you're noticing currently that are affecting interest rates, that our listeners will be like, oh, this is good to know. I mean, I'm sure any mortgage broker or mortgage agent gets a lot of questions about what's happening with rates. And of course, the age old question of fixed versus variable. Right now, while we live in interesting times, whether we like it or not, and right now, the spread between fixed and variable is quite wide, depending on if you're looking for a high ratio mortgage or a conventional mortgage. Spreads are anywhere from one and a quarter all the way to almost one and a half percent. And really, what that represents is a disconnect between the bond market and the Bank of Canada. And when I say the Bank of Canada, the US Federal Reserve as well, basically between uh, central banks. The central banks continue to believe that inflation will be transitory and that their economies need a lot of stimulus and specifically the Bank of Canada. The bond market thinks that the Bank of Canada is going to be forced to raise by more than it expects. Right now, the Bank of Canada says, it said in its last monetary policy report, it expects that it will 
start increasing its policy rate sometime in the middle quarters of 2022 next year. So that could be anywhere from April through till September of next year. Okay, now that's when they'll start. We'll get into how rapidly they might raise in a second. Typically, most of us know that the Bank of Canada will increase by about a quarter of a percent. Okay, so the Bank of Canada says it's going to start increasing in the middle quarters of next year. The bond market doesn't believe that. They think that inflationary pressures are going to force the bank to raise more quickly. The bond market is right now pricing in the first Bank of Canada increase in March of next year and a total of five rate hikes in 2022 and a total of seven in the next two years. So obviously, that's pretty concerning if you're in a variable rate mortgage right now. But the question is, how likely is it to happen? The first thing to remember is the bond market is betting on future outcomes and a lot of the time just gets it wrong. I reposted a graph from um, Frances Donald, the chief economist at Manulife, who's terrific. I follow her on Twitter. She's a really good resource and somebody I would recommend you follow. She showed a chart of what happened with the U.S. Federal Reserve policy rate versus market expectations. And the chart, right. the Fed rate was down at the bottom and it was a red line and it was either flat or it went up a little bit. And the gray lines were basically what the market was pricing in for Fed rate hikes. And the gray lines all went from the bottom left of the chart to the top right of the chart. They kept shooting up. And again and again, these gray lines just died out at the top because the bond market kept betting on Fed rate hikes that never materialized. And the bond market in Canada works the same way. It's not to say that they'll for sure be wrong. It's just to say that there's a lot of hype and noise in there and that it is not by any means a guarantee when the bond market starts pricing in more hikes that will in fact get them. So right now, the bank is trying to calm markets down and saying, even though inflation has lasted, we said it would be transitory. Basically, we said that it was tied to the reopening and it made sense, right? When we reopened the economy, the demand came back on day one the supply took longer to come back online. We had bottlenecks at the ports. We had labor shortages. We had to get people back into seats. We happen to have a drought, a worldwide drought right now. We have a drought in Brazil. We have a drought in the Southern US affecting a lot of food prices. Unfortunately, we have flooding now in Southern BC. BC. Yeah. The port of Vancouver is now closed. Have they reopened for railbound traffic? At this the point? emergency traffic is getting through. So like trucking and so, because I'm in BC and we're affected yeah. on the other side of the, other side of the mountain. And uh, people went in and went crazy buying everything, of course, yeah. and grocery stores. But it's like, yeah. calm down, guys. There's more than one way to get here. Sure enough, then not even a week, it's totally fine. So they've found workarounds for the vast majority of that you know product and stuff. So um, is, is yeah. the Port of Vancouver flowing though, or I, that I'm not sure on. I think it is, but I don't know for sure. So okay. you know, depending well, on this goes up, but in any case, yeah. The bottom line is these are all temporary factors. If the Bank of Canada sees price spikes that are related to things like temporary shutdowns or supply chain shortages or droughts, they don't raise rates because those things sort themselves out over time. We should remember the Bank of Canada's rate increases take anywhere from 12 to 18 months to fully bake into the economy. So if we have shortages now that are resolved in 12 months, basically the issues are going to resolve right when the impact of the Bank of Canada rate increase is really going to start to bite. And remember, the momentum that we have in our economy right now was earned through crazy amounts of government stimulus and through really aggressively loose monetary policy. If the Bank of Canada were to start cranking rates right now, it would kill that same momentum. So why go to all that trouble to start hiking rates aggressively unless you have absolutely no choice? The bond market thinks it's going to happen. They're pricing that in. 
but the Bank of Canada is pushing back against that narrative. And that's why you see this gap where the variable rates haven't changed because they're based on the Bank of Canada's policy rate and bond yields have pushed fixed mortgage rates much higher. It's the debate about what's going to happen next year. Now, even if we were to get a ton of rate hikes, bottom line, we'd probably have a recession. And my guess is the more rapidly the Bank of Canada increased, the more likely it would be to decrease coming down the other side. The other question, of course, is what's going to happen when the Bank of Canada starts to raise? Typically, they raise by a quarter point. They meet 10 times a year. If past is prologue, they will typically hike and then allow at least one meeting to go by before they hike again each time by a quarter point. The Bank of Canada is on record as saying that it doesn't think it's going to have to raise by as much as it's had to in past cycles to bring inflation to heal because of the record debt levels that we have. Uh, right. When you think about it, Higher debt magnifies the impact of each rate hike. It makes sense that the bank likely won't have to increase by as much if each hike is magnified by outstanding debt. The other question that comes up is, well, how many times will they hike in total? The average Bank of Canada rate hike cycle is six hikes. The bank has said it doesn't think it's going to have to increase by as much as in past cycles. So what does that mean? If it's not six, would it be four? I mean, if it's four hikes... That doesn't even get us up to where the fixed rates are today. And of course, if those four hikes take longer than the bond market thinks, borrowers are saving money all the way along until that gap between fixed and variable closes. But here's the key advice that I would give any variable rate borrower. Number one, don't plan on rates staying where they are today. They're going to go up. The question is when and by how much. And there's a pretty big buffer right now for some rate hikes to kick in and for variables still to be the better deal. Number two, variable rates work as a long-term strategy. Typically, they save money anywhere from 80 to 85% of the time. At least they have over the last 25 years although that's been in a generally falling rate environment. But even with that factored out, variable rates tend to beat fixed rates about 70% of the time over a very long time horizon. What doesn't work is when borrowers panic and lock into fixed rates because the fixed rates they can get when variable rates start to rise will be higher in all likelihood than the fixed rates they can get today. So if you're not going to commit to variable as a long-term strategy, then you should go fixed. Okay, oh, Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. basically you're saying if you're going to be panicky and pull the trigger as soon as that first rate hike comes, you should just go on fixed to begin with. Right, because fixed rates always rise ahead of variable rates because fixed rates are based on longer-term bond yields, which are more sensitive to changes in the long-term inflation outlook. So people who say, well, I'll go variable day and then I'll convert to a fixed rate when it looks like variable rates will start to rise, that's the worst strategy of all. I tell them right off the bat, that would not work well for you because all you're doing is you're getting a little bit of savings now. And if variable rates start to rise, you lock in a fixed rate, you're going to be locking in a higher fixed rate than, than you can get today. You should just go fixed now and be done with it. If a borrower does go variable, the other advice I think most experienced mortgage advisors give is set your payment as if you'd gone with a fixed rate. That's going to do two things. Number one, that's going to plow the savings you're getting in today's variable rates back into the mortgage and allow you to make some hay while the sun shines. And the other thing it'll do is it'll get your borrowers used to paying each month as if they had taken a higher rate. So if they put in a buffer, let's say they pay an extra 500 bucks each month, then as variable rates start to rise, they can simply toggle that buffer down and shrink that $500 to absorb the first several rate increases. And it wouldn't be until the fourth or fifth or sixth Bank of Canada rate increase before those variable rate borrowers were actually paying more on a cash flow basis each month 
than they would have had they originally gone fixed. And of course, the other advantage of a variable rate is the penalty to break it is only three months interest. So it comes with a lot more flexibility and all else being equal, if fixed and variable rates end up costing about the same amount over five years, the much more favorable penalty terms make them overall, I think, still a good option, all else being equal. That said, my personal view, as I've said many times in my blog, is that I think variable rates are going to save money over fixed rates over the next five years. It'll be a bumpy ride. I tell every borrower to expect that we are going to see rate increases, but I think we'll see fewer rate increases than the bond market is pricing in and that the mainstream headlines suggest. You know, the mainstream media likes the dramatic headlines. And so there's been a lot of hyperbole around rates going to the moon and everybody should lock in. Interestingly, if you go back many years, the mainstream media has been saying that borrowers should be locking into fixed rates for a long time now. Um, And it doesn't seem to matter that they've had it wrong for many years. I remember when Kevin O'Leary Remember him? Yeah, he had his mortgage company. Yeah, he launched his mortgage company and he said, I'm only going with fixed rates. Now, he only got fixed rates in his product line, but he said he was only going with fixed rates because variable rates were going to the moon and that everybody needed to lock into fixed rate aware they were going to get slaughtered. And this was like, I don't know, four or five years ago. I'd love to go back and calculate what that advice would have cost the average mortgage borrower, it would have been many, many thousands of dollars. Now, you can turn on the TV today and he's off pontificating about something else. Now, at the time, I did a post and I did a full takedown and I basically said, I think he's completely wrong for the following reasons, which I listed. I think if you go back and read that post, it actually turned out to be pretty accurate. I think a lot of those reasons ended up being the ones that people uh, attributed to the continued uh, savings that materialized in variable rates. And again, I warn every borrower and I think it's important that we all do this, that my opinion in two bucks, I'll get them a hot cup of coffee. Just because I put a lot of research into this stuff and I write about it regularly, there's no guarantee that I have any better idea of what the future will hold than anyone else. But people, look, you're a mortgage expert. People want to know about this stuff. They respect the fact that you put in the time to educate yourself and that you can speak about it and explain it in an understandable way. And that's part of the value that we add. It's not that we need to be able to see around corners. Some people say, well, mortgage brokers shouldn't talk about where rates are headed because they can't know for sure. So they shouldn't try. And I think that's a very lazy way of looking at it. If you have an investment advisor and you ask their advice on the stock, you know perfectly well. They can't tell you with certainty what will happen, but you certainly expect them to have an informed opinion. Informed opinion. Exactly. Have an informed opinion. Put in the time, do the work. Ultimately, you don't want to push anybody where they don't want to go. If somebody prefers fix, then absolutely wouldn't try to talk them out of it. Even today, I'm doing about a third of my volume in fixed rates. If somebody asks my opinion, I give it to them, but always with the important qualifier uh, that that nobody knows what the future will hold. Right. And if you're listening to this, do the work by reading Dave's blog, you'll get, basically, (laughs) he's going to do the work and you're going to look really smart reading what he has to say. So, okay, there was something else you talked about that you'd thrown out there to me. You said, you know, variable rate. I've always thought about this way, Dave. If let's say the variable outperforms the fixed historically 70 to 85% of the time, somewhere in there. And if you go to Vegas and you were betting, black showed up 75% of the time, which one are you going to bet on? I'm like, man, you got $600,000. I'm going to put it on the, you know, okay, it's not for sure, just probability wise. And for a variety of reasons you've already indicated, I'm like, I'm betting on the one that keeps coming up. You agree or disagree with that? I'm trying to simplify everything that you said that's really, really smart down to something a guy like me as a marketer can actually like communicate in a, you know, succinct way. So that's why I do it that way. 
Sure. Well, look, the odds favor variable. There's no question about that. But let me talk a little bit about when a fixed rate makes sense, because I think there are times when it absolutely makes sense. For one thing, and I always mention this in my post, some people are worriers and they would lose too much sleep worrying when they saw news headlines that uh, their variable rate was going to rise. If you can't have peace of mind and live with some inherent risk, you can't put a price on peace of mind. I've had people go variable and then say, even though I saved money, it drove me so crazy. I wish I'd gone fixed because then I wouldn't have worried about it so much. So you got to know yourself. And also those borrowers, the ones who are really going to worry, aren't going to commit to variable as a long-term strategy. And going variable as a short-term strategy is almost always going to be more expensive than just going fixed to begin with, like we talked about. Uh, At the beginning, yeah, yeah. Because you're better off taking today's fixed rates because if variable rates start to rise, tomorrow's fixed rates will be higher. The other thing is, especially for a first-time buyer, there's a lot of unknowns. You're transitioning from the life of a renter where whenever something breaks, you pick up the phone and call your landlord and then wait for them to show up to fix the problem. Once you become a homeowner, you got a lot of unforeseen costs and bills to worry about. A lot of first-time buyers are starting families and they've got the costs of children to worry about. Fixed rates give you the stability of knowing what your payment's going to be for a period of time. As far as I'm concerned, if you take a fixed rate today, even if you end up paying more than if you'd gone with a variable rate, that premium may be worth it. You're effectively buying rate insurance. That's what the fixed rate premium you pay is. If you choose a fixed rate over a variable rate, you're saying, I'm willing to pay more for the stability and the security of knowing that my payment isn't going to change over the term of the loan. And you buy insurance on your house, right? You buy fire insurance to protect against the risk that your house will burn down. Now, it's not like you stand outside your house wishing it would burn down because you spent all that money in, on fire insurance. Just because your house doesn't burn down doesn't right. mean it wasn't a mistake to have bought that fire insurance. So if you're taking on a lot of debt and you know you can afford the fixed rate payment and there would be a scenario where variable rates rose. Now, they'd have to rise extraordinarily because today everybody passes the stress test. And if you're starting out with a variable rate at 135, at 1.35, you have to show that you can afford a rate of 5.25. So yeah, you take, obviously quality. Yeah. So that, yeah. yeah, it would take a more than quadrupling of the rate before the lending models, which go back many, many decades, say that you'd be out of house and home. But from a cash flow standpoint, it would still be devastating. Nobody wants to be house poor. And at the end of the day, like I said, if it's going to drive you crazy worrying about it, you can't put a price on peace of mind. So going with a fixed rate, even if it's more expensive, can make a lot of sense for some borrowers. And that's why you really don't want to push people where they don't want to go. If someone right. asks your advice, then give me your heartfelt response. But if somebody calls you up and says, I want a fixed rate, I've never tried to talk somebody out of a fixed rate. I've offered my opinion when asked with all modesty about not knowing what the future will hold, my crystal ball being as murky as ever. But at the end of the day, for certain borrowers, fixed rates are the right option for good, sensible reasons. And if that's the case, then it's fixed rates all the way for those folks. And okay, so this is a great conversation. So you talked about the bond markets pricing in these rate hikes. So how does the bond market, I'm doing quotations, who is the bond market? I'm trying to dumb it down for our listeners who are maybe not as experienced in the mortgage space and they don't understand that. So how would you sure. simplify that so that sure. I can understand it? Tell me like yeah. I'm 10. Tell me like I'm yeah, 10, Dave. Absolutely. Well, this is something that I talk about with borrowers a lot. The bond market, bond yields are determined by thousands and thousands of people and institutions and pension funds and massive amounts of investors buying and selling each day. So bond yields move up or down. It's like a stock. They move up or down based on what someone is willing to buy for and what someone's willing to sell for in real time. And these trades happen on a government account of bond yield probably every 10 seconds. 
So it's basically the bond market is like a big voting machine, right? It's thousands of people constantly casting their votes on should I buy or should I sell based on what they see happening in the market. And that's why when you look at a chart of bond yields, they look pretty volatile. They go up or down quite a lot. And that's what our fixed mortgage rates are priced on. They're priced off of government and Canada bond yields. They move when government and Canada bond yields move. Variable mortgage rates, on the other hand, are priced off of the Bank of Canada's policy rate. The Bank of Canada is this very august, stern, carefully measured institution that calmly meets 10 times a year. I thought it was only eight times a year. Did they increase it? No, I think it's 10. I, I okay. could be wrong, but I think it's 10. While the Fed has over a thousand PhDs working for it. So I'm not sure exactly how many PhDs the Bank of Canada has, but it's a lot of them. And they're all very, very experienced folks who in a very considered and measured way, put their hand on the policy rate lever and decide whether or not they should raise So it's also a voting machine. It's just, there's one ballot with it that's moving everything, but all these people are within that Fed or within the Bank of Canada providing that data so that the Bank of Canada can make the decision or the Fed can make the decision. Is that correct? So, right. So it works a little differently. In the Bank of Canada, it's a policy committee, but the decision is ultimately the committees to make. And I suspect it's probably ultimately comes down to what the Bank of Canada governor decides. The Fed has an open market committee and they actually do vote. Okay. They, they tend to follow the leader of the Fed, but it's a little bit more... You know, in Canada, our political system is designed so that once we elect our politicians, whoever the prime minister is, basically the prime minister is the main decision maker for government policy. Whereas in the U.S., they have the president and has representatives in the Senate, and there's all kinds of uh, people giving input into the system. The Bank of Canada and the Fed work much the same way. The Bank of Canada is basically one vote, and the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, which is the body within the U.S. Federal Reserve, that sets the Fed's policy rate, that is a group that votes. And interestingly, when the Fed makes its decision on Wednesday, the following Monday, some of those voters are out there on the public speaker circuit explaining why they think the Fed should have done something different. So it's like a bunch right, of cats right. trying to herd the cats. It's right, really, right. you know, the media can almost decide what narrative do I want to believe? And then they just go listen to the speeches of whichever man. They can find somebody saying right. the opposite. Yeah. Right, right. And they can say, well, this is what the Fed is saying. Well, it's not really the Fed. It's one of its members. The Bank of Canada is very different. The simplest okay. way to put it, Scott, back to what you had asked originally, is the bond market is a voting machine of thousands of people in real time. And that sets fixed mortgage rates and variable mortgage rates are based on the Bank of Canada's policy rate. And that is decided effectively by one vote, a very set number of times a year. And you can imagine there's a lot more volatility in the bond market and it's a lot calmer at the Bank of Canada. And that's why you see a divergence, you know, the spread between five-year fixed and variable rates. There was no spread between them when COVID hit. And before that, the spread was almost the same. Then it started to widen out. Now it's widened to, I think, the most extreme levels I've seen in my 11 years as a broker. And that volatility is a reflection of the disparate views of the Bank of Canada and the bond market, the bond right. market consensus. All right. So the bond market's predicting this, you know, six rate hikes, but you said something happened recently that's actually had them maybe ease off a little bit. The bond market's come down. What was that? And votes are being cast. What caused them to go, wait a second, maybe we're incorrect. Well, we are still in the midst of a pandemic and it is a global pandemic. And uh, news broke on Friday afternoon that a new variant of the coronavirus called the Omicron variant had spread from, they think it originated in South Africa, but it had already spread to Europe. Africa, and as far south as Australia. And the concern with that variant 
is it is apparently more contagious and more vaccine resistant than the other variants. And while North Americans had tried to resume their normal lives, we shouldn't forget we are still in the middle of a global pandemic that won't be worked out until we have global solutions and global vaccinations. And the bond market tanked rates or yields, sorry, on Friday, the government of Canada five-year bond yield dropped from 1.56 to 1.4 on Friday afternoon, which is a huge move, 16 basis points. And that's because if we do get another outbreak and another infection spike, the timing of the Bank Canada's next rate hike will almost certainly be pushed out. And those five hikes that were priced in last week, well, now, you know, I haven't checked today, but we're probably down to four. And maybe we'll be down to three by the end of this week. And that's right. why this- And fixed rates don't follow as quickly. Like, so when the bond market does this little dip as a mortgage broker, you're not going to see tomorrow rates drop, right? Like, what is the timeline between the bond rate starting to dip and then you see it showing up in mortgage pricing? Well, there's no hard and fast rule. There's an old adage that lenders like to take the stairs when they're lowering rates and they take the elevator when they're raising. <laughs> yeah, so, that's uh, it's like they're blinking to see who's going to go wait to see who's going to go first. When somebody moves, then the rest of the move, right? Is that usually what happens? Yeah, so, like, and, they're, and they're quicker to raise than they are to lower. So generally, if you're a mortgage broker trying to figure out when rates are going to move, what you want to do is when you see a group of rate hikes being announced by lenders, check and see where the government of Canada five-year bond yield is. So if it's at, say, 1.5, the five-year Government of Canada bond yield. And you should really have that bookmarked in your browser because when you're having your morning coffee, just check and see what's happening. Lenders don't always give you a warning when rates move. And if you want a warning ahead of time, just check out that chart. If the last time lenders moved rates up or down was when the bond yield was at 1.5%, the bond yield can fluctuate, I would say, pretty safely within about 10 basis points of that 1.5 level. And rates will stay where they are. Lenders will make a little more, a little less, but they generally won't change a lot because they don't want to inconvenience us and they don't want to be bombing people with emails about rate changes. And, you know, lenders changing rates involves work on their end as well. So generally they have a tolerance within a certain band and 10 basis points is pretty safe. When the government of Canada five-year bond yield starts to drop, let's say it goes from 1.5 down to 1.4, 1.35. Lenders are obviously making more money at that point. If they haven't lowered, they're just going to be banking that extra profit. It does work the other way. If rates go from 1.5 to 1.6, lenders might say, well, we think it might come back down. We're not going to raise right away. So they just live with the fact they don't make as much. So it isn't like they only win. They have a little bit of a tolerance there that they win or lose generally. One of the things that drives me crazy is that if the government of Canada bond yield drops from 1.5, don't say 1.35. We don't always get the rate drops right away, but the branches at the banks tend to respond in real time. So their discretionary discounting seems to update a lot faster. And that's when you get mm. calls from borrowers sometimes quoting your rates at the banks that you just aren't seeing yet because the banks have repriced in real time to their branches, but they're repricing to us a little bit more slowly. That's the nature of the business we're in. We figure out ways to stick handle around it. But bottom line, that's ultimately what determines where rates are headed. And if you want to watch that Government of Canada five-year bond yield, as I say, make a note of where it was the last time rates moved. And if you see it move above or below by 10 basis points or more, chances are uh, rates are probably going to move if that holds. Right. Okay. This has been a very fascinating conversation. Hopefully you guys are learning a ton about interest rates. I know I am. Okay. Let me ask you this. Do you have a mortgage, Dave? And if you are, what are you in? This Don't. is the question. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I do not currently have a mortgage, but the last mortgage I was in was a variable rate. Okay. Damn it. Refinance your house, Dave. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Buy crypto. We can talk about yeah. that another time. I just need to go buy crypto. 
That is not a financial planning advice. Dave, this is good fun. <laughs> I would love to get you on periodically and do this conversation. I think that it provides a ton of value to our mortgage community if you'd be open to it and give us like a, what you're seeing because I was taking lots of notes from this conversation. So hopefully you guys listening are also taking notes about how to have better conversations and you know provide insights. You don't want to be like McDonald's. You want fries and a burger. Give an informed opinion, but ultimately you're right. There's not going to be the same answer for every client. Like you're going to have to make sure that it makes sense for each client in their situation. So any final thoughts before we wrap up? Thanks, Scott. Well, this was fun. Yeah, happy to come back in future. And yeah, I just want to echo what you said. You know, we are not each other's competition. Our main competition are those mortgage specialists at the bank. And one of the things that I hear from clients, which I love, is they tell me, you know, I talked to a specialist at my bank and I've had this conversation with you and I can really tell the difference between a mortgage broker and a bank specialist. My conversation with you was nothing like the one that I had with the person at the bank. And if you want to differentiate yourself, because most mortgage specialists are fairly junior, they don't get a lot of training and they haven't usually been in the job for very long. If you want to differentiate yourself from those mortgage specialists that we all can compete with, then in addition to product knowledge and choice, you should also be able to offer expertise. And expertise comes from doing the work. Yes, you can read my blog, but you can also read your own sources and come up with your own opinions. At the end of the day, it will help your business. And I find a lot of folks are too direct drive. If they can't see any immediate benefit, like if I do it on Monday, I benefit from it on Tuesday, then maybe in their mind, they can rationalize not putting in the work. But I promise the people listening that if they do put in the work over time, the quality of their conversations with borrowers will improve and it will definitely help their business. But you got to put in the work. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it, man. Good chatting with you. Thanks, Scott. Well, if you're like me, just listening to that conversation with Dave, I took tons of notes. I didn't do a lot of talking. I was mostly listening. And the guy is one smart dude when it comes to understanding monetary policy, interest rates, you know, bond markets, and has a way to be able to communicate that. And so, as he said, you know, I think that we as mortgage brokers need to provide enough informed opinion. Doesn't mean we need to push people down one path or another, but they are coming to us for advice. And so highly recommend that you go check out Dave's blog if you haven't already. Become a reader of that. It'll help steal some of his insights for you. Also, if you're listening to this and you're like, hey man, like how do I get my business going? So we have a thing called 10 Loans a Month Academy. We do not teach you about how to talk about interest rates. So we have lots of great training there, lots of great coaches, and the focus is on sales, business development, building your team. And so for the most part of the podcast, that's what we talk about. But every once in a while, it's great to have somebody come in and do a deep dive into what's happening in the market and let us know. So hopefully you found it valuable. In this upcoming session, I'm going to be talking to Ben McCabe about three reasons why reverse mortgages can make sense or why you need to be thinking about them. So go check that out. Hey, Ben, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott, how's it going? It's fantastic. So what are we talking about today? What's the topic? Yeah, so a lot of brokers and agents that we talk to tell us that, you know, they haven't done a lot of reverse mortgage billing. You know, maybe they've done three, maybe they've done five, maybe they've done one, maybe they haven't done any. And we think that brokers and agents are going to start spending a lot more time thinking about this, thinking about reverse mortgages. And I want to give kind of three reasons why we think that should be the case. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I agree with you. I think that this segment of the market is going to continue to expand as the population ages and we're going to live longer. Like my coach that I get coached from, his plan is to live to be 156. He's 77. I don't know if he's going to live to be 156, but that's a long time in your house, man. Like you guys may lose money in that deal. Although who knows, the appreciation will probably be fine. But in any case, let's talk about the three sort of topics when it comes for mortgage brokers to think about. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you've already hit the first one, right? The market is growing, right? And that's a result of what you just said, right? Canada is getting older. People are living longer, right? So the 70 plus population in Canada is going to grow by 50% over the next 10 years, okay? You know, by and large, you know, the senior population in Canada owns their homes. They've probably paid down most of the mortgage debt on their homes, right? So, you know, the average senior in Canada has like roughly half of their wealth is in their home. And so it's really an inevitability that Canadian seniors are going to start tapping into that wealth in their home is part of their overall retirement plan. And this market is going to get a lot bigger. Okay, so this was a billion dollar market 10 years ago. It's a $5 billion market today. Mm -hmm. We think it's going to be a $30 billion market in 10 years from now, right? And as they say, like a rising tide lifts all boats, right? So just get into this market. It's a growing market. It's where you kind of want to be. Mm -hmm. So get in front of it. I always say when there's a wave coming, you want a surfboard on that wave. And so exactly. wave, well, the baby boomers have been a wave forever. Okay, so that's the first growing market. What's the second reason you think mortgage brokers need to think about reverse mortgages? Yeah, the second reason is that it's a really powerful solution for a subset of your customers. Like as you said before, Scott, it's like a golf club, right? It's a club you want to have in your bag, right? So a couple of different, you know, scenarios where it could come in handy. If you've got an older customer, call it 55 plus, and they don't have a lot of income. Maybe they're retired, right? So maybe they can't qualify for the same mortgage that they would have qualified for, you know, even a few years before, you know, when they were still working. We just did a $500,000 reverse mortgage for a couple whose only qualifying income was CPP and OAS, right? So a really powerful solution in that type of scenario. Another kind of scenario where it can come in handy, again, older kind of 55 plus customer with bad credit. Okay. So there's no minimum credit score for a reverse mortgage. And the reason is, is that we don't care about their ability or customer's ability to pay it back, right? Because they don't need to make regular payments on it. So, you know, a reverse mortgage is a really powerful solution. You know, for example, if they have a lot of unsecured debts that need cleaning up, as we say sometimes, you know, what better payment plan is there than no payment plan to kind mm -hmm. of solve for that type of scenario? So, you know, a low income, bad credit situations, really powerful tool for 55 plus customers. Right. Growing market, it's a utility solution for brokers. What would be another reason that brokers should be thinking about this? Yeah, so there's just not a lot of competition in this sector from a broker perspective, right? So there's tons of opportunity for brokers and agents to start focusing on it and make a really big dent. So like based on our kind of analysis in the market, we think that there's less than 5% of brokers in Canada who are doing more than 90% of brokered reverse mortgage volume in this space right now. Okay, so there's just a handful of brokers that are focused on it and they're cleaning up. So really, really big opportunity for brokers and agents to start focusing on it, start building referral networks in this space. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. It seems like a sliver of brokers. Okay. So any other kind of last thoughts of the brokers listening to this? What do they need to know about getting into reverse mortgages? I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, so just to summarize, you've got a growing market, you know, a rapidly growing market. This is a really powerful solution to address that part of the market, right? The 55 plus, you know, segment in Canada who maybe you don't have a lot of other alternatives. You don't have like a lot of other clubs in your bag to solve that problem. And it's still a relatively young market in terms of the development of the market in Canada. Like the UK market, for example, is five times as penetrated as the Canadian market. So really big opportunity for brokers to come into this market, start focusing on it and start making a real dent. Right. It's kind of like the early days of YouTube, if you're thinking about this. Remember Charlie bit my finger? I mean, that video is like, what is the point of that video? But it gets like a bajillion views. So if you get into this space earlier than other folks, you're going to have a first mover advantage. So something totally. else to consider as well. So yeah, that's awesome, Ben. Well, I'm glad that you guys are still doing well. If you guys are listening to this, if you want to check out Bloom Finance, you can go to bloomfin.ca. Uh, ben and his team are amazing. They are taking fintech and applying it to the reverse mortgage space. And yeah, go check them out. One of the cool things that they do is they'll actually take care of everything on the client side if you want. So even if you're not completely comfortable with that part of it, those guys will help you with it and still get paid. They pay you really well. So check them out, bloomfin.ca. Thanks again, Ben, for being on the show. Thanks a lot, Scott. 
All right. Thanks again for checking out this episode and for having a listen to Dave share about interest rates, bond markets. Hopefully you feel a little bit smarter. You can have a better conversation with your clients. And also thanks to Ben for being on to chat about reverse mortgages, some of the options or some of the ways people can think about that. If you're listening to this and you're like, man, what other options are there for me? We have a power search tool or a keyword search tool, if you want to call it that. If you go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com, you can set up a free account. And what happens is, is you can literally keyword search every single episode we've ever created in any of our shows. So you can jump right to the word purple if you wanted to. I don't know where you could find it. How many times we said the word purple in the last six years? You could find it. And it's super cool. Go check that out. Totally free. ilovemortgagebrokering.com. Thanks again for checking out this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.